0: The Capital Weekly podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations. Funding for the Capital Weekly podcast is provided by the California Endowment and by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations.
1: Uh, greetings and welcome to the Capital Weekly podcast. I'm John Howard. I'm joined by Tim Foster. Hello. And we have with us as our guest today, John Fleischman. Hello. A political strategist, founder and editor of The Flash Report, and the former executive director and vice chair of the California Republican Party. So we wanted to chat with John about a lot of things today, but one, I think, uh, overarching question is here, John, you're a longtime Republican, and there's turmoil, I think, within the Republicans nationally, and I guess within the state, about the Republican leadership. What um what what's your immediate take on that? How do, how do you uh, uh, live as a Republican in a Republican era right now that doesn't seem to be doing too well at least at least nationally?
2: Well, I mean the first thing I would tell you is I think it's a bit of an overstatement to say there's turmoil in the party about Republican leadership if you look at survey after survey, almost all Republicans are united behind Republicans going into the general election. Um, All parties have their own share of infighting and disagreements about the details, but I still think at the end of the day, uh, there's kind of a cardinal rule that applies to Democrats as well as Republicans, which is uh, any Republican on their worst day is going to be better than a Democrat on their best day. And what you've got is a big division in America today between a Democratic party that has shifted to the hard left and a Republican party that has moved in, in depending on how you talk about it, to the right. And, you know, the real quandary is, of course, going to be for the centrist voters. But I think, you know, clearly there are some uh, voices uh, uh, of people that don't like President Trump. President Trump is a controversial person. But, you know, I think there's a big difference between a few hundred people in an echo chamber and the, and the reality, which is that survey after survey after survey shows that Trump does not have an erosion of Republican support amongst voters. Um, uh, you know, that having been said,, you know, I'll be the first one to say, um, you know, I, I'm supporting Trump, but it's not because I'm enamored with Donald Trump. I, Trump does things that I think are great, and Trump does things that I don't like. And I think a lot of people are in that position. Um, but you know for me as a conservative Republican on balance, I don't really have a choice because every single thing that Joe Biden would do as president, uh, that Harris would do as vice president are things that I think are wrong for the country, right? I don't want big government. I don't want the federal government growing and doing more. And, you know, and, and Trump's not perfect by any stretch. As a matter of fact, there are times when I wince uh, about things that he does, but, you know, at the end of the day, I don't, I don't think if Trump loses this election in November, it's not gonna be because he had defections from Republican voters. It'll be because he lost in the battle for the center uh undecided voter that's in the middle, and I think that's where the the focus will be
1: do you think he um uh do you think he'll be able to persuade voters who voted for him before but say they've since they're looking at it again they're maybe it's buyer's remorse well
2: you know again i Um, You know, I kind of look at the situation that we're in now is is, you know, the race is real and it's between two actual people. Right. So the choice is between do you reelect President Trump? Do you elect former Vice President Biden? And there's no third option that's viable. And so, you know, people are just going to have to decide with his blemishes and things that I don't really like about him. Do I want you know, what does it look like in today's America to have the you know the democratic party which has moved hard hard left it, the the democratic party nationally is kind of starting to look like the california democratic party and you know if if you if you have all three you know branches of government in washington or i, I should say i should say all three i should say if you've got the presidency the and and presumably and most people think that there's a likelihood that how goes the White House is likely how tips the Senate. We we don't know that, right, it, 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 that, that's unknown. But, you know, if you're looking for, you know, a hard left turn, then you got Biden. There's no, there's it's not like there's a moderate course. There's no Bill Clinton. If you look at Joe Biden, Biden is not a, I mean, anyone's a moderate, I guess, next to, you know, crazy Bernie. But as a practical matter, Biden's plans for what he wants to do as president Involve incredible growth of the federal government, incredibly large tax increases, a lot of aggressive agenda on climate change, and a lot of issues like that. The big, you know, a lot of big plans, and 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 he's going to get pushed very hard by AOC and the the left, and 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 again. So so you've got this this difficult position. If you're a centrist or a more moderate voter, you really got you know kind of the
1: choice of two extremes, and. So I, I that part of, John, isn't that part of Republican messaging is sort of to identify? And, and,
2: and I should say this, I think in order for Donald Trump to get reelected, given the economic uh, challenges of COVID, um, you know, I think he needs an X factor. His X factor four years ago were just the huge un, unpopular ratings for Hillary Clinton. She was not a popular nominee and that really helped Donald Trump. I don't think Biden has those high negatives that Hillary Clinton had, this year's X Factor seems to be, you know, surrounding the, 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 the riots and the murders and the assaults and the extreme agenda of some activists that have, are hijacking what I think is broadly a more passive, well-informed, and well-intended, you know, national push for reforms. But, you know, if you get enough crazy, chaotic stuff going on, Trump starts to look like the candidate that would, you know, not not put up with that. Right. Um, You know, I I think uh, Biden and Harris, like in the last day after months of this, have finally started to uh, critique uh, the aggressive uh, um, violence. But they're really late to the dance on that, which I think was a tactical mistake. Clearly, they oppose it. But I think another phenomena of the extreme polarization of both parties in America today is that everyone's afraid to take on the quote unquote base of their own party for fear of pushback. Um, and that I think has manifested itself uh, in the case
1: of moderate Republicans that don't want to push against you know, Trump supporters. You think that's true on the Democratic side when everything I've seen shows that Biden and Harris have got this messaging to go to the center, not push to the extreme. Well, no, that's their
2: messaging, but I don't know that it's working, right? I mean, you—I I mean, again, you turn on the news, right? I, you turn on newspapers, and I'm not sure whether or not the activists that are dominating the news, who are Democrats, are in line with what Trump, uh, what with what Biden and Harris are doing. I, I, I largely. see, Biden and Harris is kind of like, you know, is that old rule in politics. If your opponent is losing his own race, don't race, don't get in his way. And so (laughs) so I've seen Biden and Harris kind of generally stay low profile. As a matter of fact, Biden really just sat it out until his convention when he kind of had to be front and center because I think he was very comfortable with the trend of the race and and the fact that the president was kind of, you know, making a lot of his own uh, negative press. Um, and now the race is tightened up. Now, if you look the, I always look at those betting averages in, in Vegas, and yeah. the the line, right? And the, for the first time in a long time, it's a statistical tie. The odds makers aren't willing to say who they think will win the White House for people that are laying down bets, uh, on who will win.
1: Uh, John, in California, um,
0: think-
1: just kind of pivoting to California for a bit here. Uh, there are some issues that have come up that, um, uh, I think are interesting to Republicans and have drawn up as generally have not everybody, but I wanted to ask you about them. One of them is a requirement in the legislature. There's a bill in the legislature that would require uh, corporations, corporate boards to have a person of color represented on their board. These are publicly held corporations that are domiciled in California. Do you got any thoughts about that one?
2: Yeah, sure. Um, It won't surprise you, but Um, I don't think that's good public policy. And to be clear, when we say publicly held, that almost makes it sound like the government owns these companies. Publicly held means that people invest in these companies. They're listed in the public exchange so that people can buy stock and own those companies. Sure. But these are private companies. and, And at the end of the day, I think that businesses should be making decisions for what you know what, what they want what they want to do i think it sets a dangerous trend to say that politicians are going to tell private companies who should and should not be on their boards of directors that i'm all in favor of public shaming of protests of people of uh, investors bonding together and making statements but as a pretty libertarian fellow i think it's a slippery slope for government to start to say somebody should be on a board based on the color of their skin and all. That's why I oppose Proposition 16. Two wrongs do not make a right. And it is no more morally correct to say that a black person should be on a board or a Hispanic person should be on a board or a, a Asian person should be on a board than it should be to say a white person should be on a board. Government should not be discriminating at all. And so, obviously, um, my, my, my philosophy does not prevail Uh, with the majority liberals in Sacramento. So I think it's a bad bill. The governor should veto it, but he's busy posturing for his presidential run, so I'm sure
1: he'll vote for it. Well, let me just skip around for a second and ask you a couple others that struck me. Uh, One proposal is that insurers, insurance companies, should cover mental health and addiction issues. That's always been a fight between insurers and others, and I'm just wondering if you had any thoughts about that one.
2: Well, I have broader thoughts about the healthcare system in America, which has evolved to a point where the individual consumer no longer is making decision making, which means the the costs are overrun. I mean the system is broken and the left would tell you to solve the problem by you know, by the public option and by making it all government run. And people on the right like me would say you solve the option by tying insurance to the individual so that if, you know, my aspirin's going to cost me $200, I'm going to make a, a stink about it. Right now, I don't care because I don't see my bill. Um, I don't, you know, uh, uh, you know, as to what kind of coverage should be offered by insurance, well, it's not really insurance, right? We're talking about medical services. And, you know, it's all a cost benefit analysis, right? If you, the more you include in coverage, the more that it dries up the cost for everybody. And so you just have to make these broader decisions, right? If, if you're going to say that every single person uh, out there should have, uh, that the healthcare company should be required to provide them benefits, those all come with costs that will then be spread out and borne by every single person who pays insurance, and so you get a philosophical question about: Hey, I'm not sick, but should I be paying higher rates to cover insurance for all the people that are sick? And you know, that's a big philosophical decision. I think that the that the reality is we should be moving to medical savings accounts and allowing for people to put money away, and then then once we've reformed the system, we can focus on the people that can't afford health care. So,
0: John, I have a question for you. Uh, you know. With the medical savings account and the other proposal you made about individuals kind of guiding their own health care, is that system in place anywhere in the world?
2: Oh, I don't know. You're getting a little bit out of my wheelhouse. I'm not a, a health policy expert, but I would simply tell you that the current system that we have you know is we're heading towards like what they have in Europe and Canada with rationing and and uh and 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 that sort of thing and i mean i mean really at the end of the day i'm a, i'm a libertarian fellow so i do not believe in a fundamental right to government provided health care you do not have a right to be healthy um uh, for the government to provide for your health you have a right to create uh, to have opportunity right so that you can You know, you know, create for yourself and then you can have targeted programs to help people. But I think that right now we've got this overlay of this idea that the minute you are born, you deserve to be healthy and you deserve to have the government pay for it, which means now I have to care about whether you are healthy. Right. I have to care whether or not you make decisions in your life that are healthy or not, in which case I have to resent somebody who decides to take drugs because now I've got to pay for their problem.
0: But here's a question. for You know,
2: and so then that causes me to want to have more laws that crack down on drug use. Right. Because I don't want to tolerate somebody costing me money to have to solve their problem. So,
0: John, out of sort of to take that to the next logical level, are you in opposition to fire departments, which are basically the same? Same idea. I mean, I'm paying for the fire, to, fire department to put your house fire out, not my house fire. And I no, don't know. I, I, I I, I'm, I'm in
2: favor. But I also. No, pay I, I, I'm in. Okay, I'm in, I, I'm, <laughs> I hear your point. I'm in favor of people coming together to create community services, right, uh, in order to protect your liberty and your property, right? Th- th- those I get. But the idea that somehow there's a collective responsibility for everyone's individual well-being, it's very difficult to do because I don't want to have to be responsible for whether my neighbor makes good health care choices. He's eating too much, he's gonna get diabetes. There ought to be a law against eating sugar because I have to pay for his health care when he goes to the hospital. There should be an opportunity in America to have the freedom to be unhealthy and to die early in life if that's what you choose to do. But I shouldn't have to pay for it. And, and the idea that government gets too big if we have to worry about everyone's health, right? People need to worry about their own health. And I'm not trying to be to the point where we can't come up with targeted plans for indigent people and people that simply can't provide for themselves. But all of that also comes with the, are people helping themselves? Are they trying to get out of their behavior? We don't want to create permanent welfare class. And part of our challenge is we have a lot of liberal policies in California that seem designed to create and foster government dependence. When the real goal and ultimate, we are doing our best job if somebody can go through life and doesn't need government assistance because someone who needs government's assistance, there's a failure. It's a bad thing if government has to help somebody. But I don't think there's universal agreement about whether that's a bad thing. I think there's a philosophy that governs Sacramento that, you know, it's perfectly fine and acceptable for people to live with government assistance when it should be a last resort. So now taking that— Am I fulfilling my requirement to be the right winger on your show? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, as a matter of fact.
0: <laughs> so, but here's a question. So, All right, you, just try. You, uh, you know, we were talking before we started the, the podcast— and now you have an unusual take. You come from a background. Uh, you worked for law enforcement in the past, but you have sort of an unusual take on some of the law enforcement bills because you see the problems stemming not from law enforcement, but from the unions that law enforcement is are they use to to safeguard their jobs, and that is uh, pretty unusual for a conservative to be. To be coming at it from that angle. Can you kind of talk about that a little bit and the current moment with defund the yeah, police? So and- so,
2: yeah, so I, I've had some tensions in the past. Like I've been a very high-profile supporter of legislation to release all of the the documents surrounding officer-involved investigations and shining the light and 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 and, and, and I appreciate the 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 cue. My I believe that the challenge that we have is that public employee unions are running public policy in the, in the Capitol. And, 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 and it's no more easier to fire a cop in California than it is to fire a teacher. And you get to a point where if people are doing bad things, you know, the unions have put in so many things into place that make it very difficult for even the most, I mean, I mean, if the minute you think that a police officer or a teacher have done something bad, You're not allowed to talk to that police officer or talk to that teacher until they have their union representative in the room, possibly a lawyer in the room. And in the case of uh, at least police officers, I don't know the details on the teacher side. I mean, in in often cases, uh, uh, police officers aren't even mandated to give their version of what occurred at an incident until they've already had an opportunity to review the statements made by other people, which is ludicrous. And so, I do think there 's a little bit of a man bites dog here story um, because I think that a lot of what 's taken place is that the public employee unions on the public safety side um, it, you know in addition to collective bargaining and creating these i mean absurd situations where someone can retire at the age of fifty with like a hundred percent of their pay with colas the rest of their lives, but it also goes to this idea that. You, you, you know, you can't again, you can't get rid of a bad cop because the system is set up where they will go on leave for years. And then and then right in the middle of the whole thing, they'll get in an accident and they go out on workers comp the rest of their life. I mean, you can get me going. And so I, I, I think that what's going to happen is there's going to be reforms that are going on in Sacramento to deal with some of these uh, challenges with firing a bad cop. But I think there's a lot of tension and a lot of nervousness about making sure that none of that creeps over to get rid of a bad state worker or a bad police officer. I mean, a bad teacher. There's going to be a very selective, well, all public workers aren't bad, just cops are bad. And I think the broader reforms should be stepping back and saying, okay, what's going on here that if a public employee, whether they're a teacher, whether they're a person who engineers a bridge, whether they're a police officer, if they're not doing their job right, they should not have protections built into a collective bargaining agreement that keeps them from being uh, punished or dismissed if, if 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 they're doing their job wrong. So because of that I'm a big uh, like I don't support qualified immunity. But most of my Republican friends do. They think, "Oh, well, cops will never do anything because they're afraid of getting sued." Right? And and I don't buy that. I buy the fact that if cops are doing their job right, they're not going to get sued, right? So or people are going to get sued, I'd be more interested in figuring out how to get something like that done. Um, but so I, so, I, so I tend to be much more of a reformer uh, than a lot of my Republican colleagues. I also think that we have a corrupt system in Sacramento. So I mean, if you're a legislator, your hand is out, and you're getting money from all these unions, and you, I don't know that you get a objective decision. I mean, Republicans are running out of places to raise money in Sacramento. Just from business, And one of the traditional sources for, for Republican legislators has been public safety unions.
1: Just, just like. Uh, what do you think the Republicans are in Sacramento uh, for money? If the Democrats are getting it from labor, the Republicans, are they getting it from business? So is it the Chamber of Commerce? Well, I mean, the first
2: thing that's happening is, the, the. I mean, the first thing I will tell you is Republicans just aren't getting it. The We've reached a point now where Republicans are raising a fractional amount of money compared to what the Democrats are raising. But to the extent that Republicans are raising money out of Sacramento, it's like with anything, right? There's a bunch of causes that are all, hey, I'm budgeting 500 bucks a year per legislator call up, but they just give a lot more to the Democrats than the Republicans. And then there are, you know, uh, clearly Republicans are getting support from the business community. They're not getting it from labor, but they traditionally get it from public safety labor. Like there's another bill going through the legislature that is awful, um, that is being promoted by the firefighters union, that there was a fire agency and uh, there's a fire authority in Orange County that provides service to most of the cities. In one city in Orange County, Placentia broke off and said, you know what, we're leaving you guys and we're gonna start our own agency. And they started their firefighters on a defined contribution plan rather than a defined benefit plan. So every paycheck, these employees are being paid kind of a 401k style deal, right? So now the firefighters are running a bill through the legislature this year, which is sailing through, which says that, oh, no, 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 if you want to start a new fire department, right, you also have to give them a defined uh, benefit plan, you can't go defined contribution. So literally, we can't get out of the pension mess that we're in. But it but because it's a firefighter union, all the Republicans are on board. Well, most of them. John Morlock, Senator Morlock gave a powerful floor speech against the bill before it was voted for, including a lot of votes from Republicans. So John,
1: what would, what would fire you fire 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 rather fire fire. have? Would you rather have a defined – John, would you rather have a defined benefit pension or a defined contribution pension? Would you rather have a 401K or a, a, you know, a certainty of benefits when you retire? Pretty basic for – it seems to me – Well, I mean, I can understand why it's in the best interest of the –
2: it could be in the best interest of the employee unless the system runs out of money, right? But for the taxpayer, you want to make sure that the obligation is being paid as you go along. And the problem is, you know, the the union reps run the CalPERS board, and so they keep artificially lowering the returns. And so nobody's paying enough money into the system, and now you've got a shell game where literally tomorrow no city in America – or no city in California that's in CalPERS can quit CalPERS because nobody is funding their retiree benefits from when they were actually working. They're all playing this, you know, pyramid scheme. And one of the benefits of a, of a defined uh, um, contribution is it, requ- it it would force fiscal discipline because at the same time you got your pay in that same pay period, you would get your retirement money. And you know, again, what's going to happen? when these actuarial returns fall short and you've got a you know all these employees who are owed massive sums of money and the money is not there, the presumption is what? You'll just raise taxes, right? And then you get the additional problem, as we talked about, like with public safety. Who in their right minds thinks that it's a good policy to say that someone at the age of 50 years old, when people are living into their 70s and 80s and 90s, who should be able to retire at the age of 50 and have all of their pay for the rest of their lives with cost of living adjustments paid for in full? I mean, it's not Right now,
0: you're, uh, your police buddies are having a conniption fit at this very instant, right? <laughs> right. Hearing you say that. Well, they've
2: heard this from me before. And, and again, I've worked in law enforcement. I worked at the Orange County Sheriff's Department for years. I was not sworn. I was in media relations. And these are all good people. But, you know, greed... You know, they they can't see where it doesn't make sense because they don't have to pay for it. But we see all these debates about unfunded pension liabilities and even Jerry Brown's PEPRA reform tinkered at the edges, but it didn't fundamentally change the system. And so it just becomes a, a challenge. And so I think that it in the context of the conversation we're having about what's happening in the Capitol today... All these pension systems are a demonstration of the complete fealty of the legislature to the unions. And while today's conversation is not about what that has meant in terms of compensation for public employees, it is relevant to all the other sweeteners that they've gotten. Every single kind of protection that you could possibly imagine that would keep managers and people running things from being able to discipline or terminate a bad employee.
1: Hey, John, let me ask you just kind of a last question. Let me ask you a little bit. This more of a general question about uh, Republicans in California. But over the last few years, the registration numbers uh, for Republicans have not looked good. Now they are more, just barely third party in terms of independents having taken them over. The independents have had registrations from Democrats have gone to independents. But it seems that more Republicans have gone to independents. What does this mean? um the republican state is now what does this mean for the future of republicans in the state or and this is something that happened pre-trump this isn't a trump issue oh sure no it's all it's all bad news i think
2: that the that the republican party in california going back many many years i mean the last the last year frankly than any substantial amount of money that was spent in california was 20 years ago when I was executive director of the party because that's the last time we had a competitive race in California and and, and Bush and Gore the money was spent here. Um, since then California's gone all blue and part of the challenge is uh, and I believe this firmly that there's a mentality in politics of looking at the ne- that the Republicans have of looking at the next 2 years only and then the next 2 years and the next 2 years and it, it involves an inve- if you want to bring California back again you need enough of an investment uh, to look long-term in California. And, you know, I I can't tell you how many times I've heard the argument of, well, why should we compete for a U.S. Senate seat in California that has one vote when the same amount of money can get us four seats otherwise around the country? And so I, the reality is you can't change the way the people think about the party in California until you're messaging and talking to the people of California. And right now, Republicans are on defense and doing only messaging in districts that are competitive, and I'll give a lot of credit to the to the the infrastructure of the left in California. Um, they devote hundreds of millions of dollars every election cycle uh, to the work that the unions do, either reportable or not reportable. The contributions, the money. I mean, I think Republicans in this next election in California are going to get outspent ten to one or more in legislative and congressional races. Um, and you can't fight a battle if you don't have ammunition, if you're not out there fighting the good fight. I don't think Republican policies and ideas are bad. I think that we're lacking in ability to take those messages to people and convince them otherwise. And then eventually you get a self-fulfilling prophecy where more Republicans are moving out of the state. More people that are, 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 are want progressive policies are moving into the state. And, you know, you might reach a certain point where it's really hard to flip it around. Well,
0: one... When- One question, you've been pretty vocal.
2: I mean, because I I will say this, let me add real quick. There's always a debate, oh, the Republican party in California is too conservative or the Republican party, you know, and and I just look back and candidates are defined, I mean, parties are defined by their candidates, right? And, you know, between Arnold Schwarzenegger and Meg Whitman and, you know, I could go back and back over, you know, uh, uh, Neil Kashkari, right? We consistently as a party put forward statewide nominees that somebody like me, a right wing Republican, has to has to you know hold their breath to vote for our party is not having a problem because we're not putting forward moderate candidates, um, and and that's an important to note because a lot of people want to make it out like the Republican Party in California is a bunch of right wingers. Every major tax increase that took place in California, you know, uh, through the legislature had Republican votes.
0: So, but one thing you you've been pretty vocal uh, at least on social media about some of the xenophobia that you've seen coming from conservatives. And I know that you were outraged when there were uh, discussions about Muslims being bad and that were coming from conservatives. And you came very much forward and said, that's un-American. That's
2: stuff that I don't like. Right. right? I mean, obviously I don't like class warfare. I don't like people being singled out because of their, you know, background or religion. Those those will be things, uh, there are things that happen when you roll your eyes. But it goes to show you how far left the Democrat Party has come to America today when it's an easy choice for somebody like me to cast a ballot for Donald Trump. I mean, he has a lot of things that I don't like about him, but they don't even pale in significance to the loss of freedom and liberty that I will get if the Pelosi Congress is sending President Biden their legislative package. It is going to mean a huge, huge change In the relationship between the people and their government in America, a whole lot more government and a whole lot less liberty. I can't I I don't even know how to deal with that. And nobody's given me a a
0: third choice. Okay, so I'm going to sneak in one last question. So you worked for Breitbart as the California editor and now Breitbart is is under indictment. Did this come as a surprise to you?
2: So let's back up. I think that Steve Bannon...
0: I'm sorry, Bannon, not Breitbart.
2: Right, Steve Bannon used, uh, well, you know, I I don't, you know, so I was friends with Andrew for a long time. He asked me to come on board with Breitbart when they opened up a California vertical. I wrote California columns there for many, many years. And then frankly, um, we just parted ways, you know, and, you know, I think that, that, um, you know, I was the, I was the, actually the only editor at Breitbart. Who publicized that they voted for Vin? I voted for Vin Scully in 2016 for president, not Donald Trump. I actually didn't think Donald Trump would govern as a conservative, but he largely has, um, other than the tariffs, which I really hate. Um, I, John
0: and I were talking <laughs> about the tariffs before we did this yeah, podcast, so. imagining that they were probably making your butt tight.
1: Hey, John, we got to wrap it up, so um, thank you very much. You've been very patient, and uh, this has been a lot of fun, and thanks for participating. Well, and,
2: th- and, th- and thanks to you guys. I think you guys at Capital Weekly have been doing a great job for a long time, and uh, the- we're all better off for the fact that you're around. God hey, bless you, my you.
1: son. We like to hear that. <laughs> Tim, thank you very much. Thanks, John. And right, this is John Howard. I, we will right, see you next time. go register Republican right after this call, guys. Okay. <laughs> Take care. See ya. Bye-bye.